Lord, this morning as we are standing at the beginning of a new year, we want to once again consecrate our lives individually and as a congregation to you. Lord, we belong to you. We are yours. And so we choose to walk with you this year and we ask that you would guide us, you would lead us, you would give us the things that are necessary to fulfill all that you have for us. And Lord, here this morning, as we, as we look at your word, I am convinced that you want to dr- d- directly and dramatically impact people's lives here today through what I'm about to share. And so God, I'm asking that we would each one be open to the things that you want to impart into us. And we trust you. We trust you, Holy Spirit. We trust you, Lord Jesus, your word to work in our hearts and our lives this day. Amen. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a moment, what might it be like if you were never concerned about what others thought? If you didn't care what they thought about your clothes or what kind of car you drive or the house you live in or where you went to school or how articulate you are or what you've accomplished or haven't accomplished or how your children behave or how your spouse behaves or any of the other numerous things that people tend to judge us by. What could that be like if you weren't concerned about any of those things, what other people thought? And further, what if none of those things really mattered to you so much? If you didn't feel like you needed to obsess over your clothes or your abilities or any of the other things that I mentioned because you're perfectly content apart from them. Wouldn't that be amazing? And my guess is that we've all caught glimpses of that here and there. And some of us probably live in that realm more than others, but none of us have fully 24-7 arrived at that place where we are 100% content. We all wish we were smarter or faster or richer or better looking. We wish we were married. We wish we were single. We wish something, several somethings maybe, about our lives were different. In short, we're generally not content. In case you haven't picked up on it already, I want to talk to you about contentment today. The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about it. We're going to start off by defining contentment to give us kind of a, a beginning point. According to the dictionary, contentment is a state of satisfaction that comes from being at ease in one's situation, body, and mind. A state of having accepted one's situation, So that's a good starting point to help us understand, but the important thing for us today is what does the Bible have to say about contentment? 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul wrote this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I don't know about you, but this verse challenges me. See, if you take the definition that I just read, being at ease in one situation and insert it into Paul's line of thinking here, this is huge. I don't know about you, but I am so often not content with my weaknesses. And insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, would I even put those into the category of contentment? Would you? Apostle Paul did. In another one of his letters, Paul said this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
The great 20th century preacher, author, uh, Bible commentator, F.B. Meyer, in the context of those verses, he said this, if we would find contentment, let us go to the homes where women are crippled with rheumatism or dying of cancer, where comforts are few, where long hours of loneliness are not broken by the intrusion of friendly faces, where the pittance of public charity hardly suffices for necessary need, to say nothing of comfort. It is there that contentment reveals itself like a shy flower. How often in the homes of the wealthy one has missed it to find it in the homes of the poor. How often it is wanting where health is buoyant to be discovered where disease is wearing out the strength. So it was with the apostle who was in the saddest part of his career, bound to the Roman soldier enclosed in some narrow apartment in touch with only a few friends who made an effort to discover him. Away from the happy scenes of earlier years and anticipating Nero's bar, he breaks out into these glorious, glorious expressions of equanimity. And please understand, again, Meyer is talking about those verses that we just read in Philippians 4. And you know, as I read those verses, I think it's significant that Paul doesn't suggest that, that being brought low didn't happen. He doesn't suggest that he was never hungry. He doesn't suggest that he was never in need. But he did say very deliberately, very specifically, that he had learned to be content in all of those situations. See, the truth is that contentment is something that is learned. Paul said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's not innate. It's not automatic in our lives. It has to be cultivated and, and allowed to grow, if you will. But it's important for us to understand where the seeds for that process generally come from. See, generally the seeds that grow into contentment come in two forms, a real and vibrant relationship with the Lord and walking through difficulties with him. See, that second one is kind of what F.B. Meyer said, that we find contentment in places where our culture thinks is the least likely place to find them, find it. Try out this section of scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. He, he is describing here somebody who is clearly not content, all right? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich into uh, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Author and theologian John Stott wrote this in the context of, of those verses. Contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light and live simply. Our enemy is not possessions, but excess. Our battle cry is not nothing, but enough. We've got enough. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Whew. You know, over the years, I've read quite a bit from John Stott, and I'm all, all too often convicted by what he says, but never more so than what he wrote here. 
See, I often think I don't have enough. Enough of whatever it is that has captured my thoughts or my imagination for the moment. I want something more, and I'm often not content until I get it. But the truth is that the contentment from having that new thing, that new experience, doesn't last. I recently came across a a great story about an Amish man, new neighbor was moving in across the street, and he was carrying in all kinds of you know, made, uh, nice appliances and electronic gadgets and fancy furniture and elaborate wall hangings and had most of it taken in. And finally, the Amish man called and said, hey, hey, neighbor, if you, you find you're missing anything, just let me know and I'll show you how to live without it. <laughs> Maybe that's a lesson most of us could use to learn to be content with far less. There was a, a worship leader who was on a short-term mission trip to the island of Tobago, and he was on his last day there leading worship in, of all places, a leper colony. And he asked the people there, is there a particular song that you'd like to sing? We could all sing together. And when he asked the question, a woman turned toward him, and he saw the most disfigured face he had ever seen. She had no ears. She had no nose. She had no lips. She raised her fingerless hand and said, could we sing, count your many blessings? And the worship leader began the song, but he couldn't finish it. And someone later asked him, you'll probably never sing that song again, will you? And he said, no, I'll sing it again. Just not the same way that I have in the past. Scripture says, be content with what you have. One writer said this, when I was a boy, if my mother was pouring out soft drinks for me and my brother, we would watch her like hawks. And if there was, a cake, if there was cake and one of us got one crumb more than the other, the protests were immediately forthcoming. It's not fair, he got more than me. You know, the fact is that you and I often do the same thing. We have a tendency to not want others to have more than us. But honestly, that's just not the way life works. There will always be someone who has something more of something than you do. It might be material possessions. It might be an ability to do something. It might be intelligence. It might be stature, whatever. And I think that's why one of God's top 10 rules is don't covet what your neighbor has. Because the sinful side of us tends to to want something more. But again, that's why scripture says be content with what you have. See, you and I have a tendency to look for things that will make us content. Some people like to get something new or experience something new. We want that new thing or that different experience that will finally, in our minds at least, bring us fulfillment, that will make us happy, that will make us content. That's why credit card debt is so high. That's why divorce is so rampant. We want something new, something out of the ordinary, something new and different. Even things like an overindulgence in in video games or any take-me-away-from-reality type of entertainment can be, not saying it does, but can be, if you're overindulging in it, if it's an obsession, if it's your constant go-to, that might be an indicator that you're not content in your everyday life. You're trying to, to fill your mind and your life with something that is actually outside of your mind and your life. It's different, it's out of the ordinary, but it will long-term not bring lasting contentment. 
And please understand, I am not suggesting that you should never have or enjoy things. God actually provides us, according to Scripture, good things to enjoy. But we need to recognize that those things, those experiences, were never designed to bring us lasting fulfillment, contentment. They're not designed to do that. You may know the name Buzz Aldrin. Some of you are going, why do I know that name? I was just a young boy and I was already in bed one night and my father came in and woke me up and took me out into the living room where the rest of the family was already there with their faces glued to the television set. And we watched black and white jarring images of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin taking the first steps of any human beings on the moon. I didn't recognize it at the time. It was clearly, as I I look back on it, a pretty momentous occasion. All that to say that I came across this a while back. He walked on the moon. There aren't too many people who can put that on their list of life achievements. Buzz Aldrin had been gone from planet Earth for eight days, three hours, 18 minutes, and 35 seconds, but the world he came back to was fundamentally different. When the Apollo 11 mission successfully returned to Earth on July 24, 1969, President Nixon called it the greatest week since creation. This small team of men had accomplished the impossible, and for the rest of their lives, they would be treated like more than mere mortals. But with this new status, Buzz Aldrin also discovered a profound sense of emptiness. His whole life had been built around high achievement. But what's left to achieve for a man who has walked on the moon? Once the immediate euphoria of his success died down, Aldrin began spiraling. I was suffering from what the poets have described as the melancholy of all things done. Soon, his marriage started to buckle. He turned to alcohol. He battled depression and eventually suffered a mental breakdown. Here's a guy who walked on the moon. There are only 12 people in the history of all of humankind that can make that claim, and he was one of the first two. His life was one achievement after another after another, and here he had achieved this monumental goal, but it did not bring lasting contentment. In fact, once he achieved that goal, he saw how empty it was, and because of that, he was far less content than ever. Things and achievements are not designed by God to bring us lasting, ongoing contentment. So with all that in mind, let me ask you a question. What is it in your life that's keeping you from being content? Or asked a different way, what do you think needs to change that would make you more content? See, if you answer that question with a thing or an experience, you've missed the point of contentment. Hebrews 13.5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A lot of people just link the first part of that verse together. I think linking the second part, be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Our contentment, true contentment comes from being in right relationship with the Lord. See, you can have it all. Everything you've ever hoped for, dreamed of, a new house, a new car, new spouse, a billion dollars, but it still won't bring you lasting contentment. Like Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, you can achieve it all and still be empty. On the other hand, you can have none of those things and be perfectly content. Let me tell you a story. Tim Vanderveen was a really good student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. He was tall, handsome, broad-shouldered, 
curly hair, smile as big as they come. In the early 90s, after graduating from college, he took a job with a large corporation, began climbing the corporate ladder pretty much as fast as anyone could. It was a cold November afternoon when Tim called his good friend and former college mentor, Professor Brown. When Professor Brown asked Tim how he was doing, he said, not so good. Well, what's wrong? I'm in the hospital with flu or something. My folks are out of the country right now. And Professor Brown said that he was going to be in Grand Rapids later that afternoon and maybe he could stop by. Tim said, I'd like that a lot. And by the time the professor got there, the doctors had already been there. And it wasn't the flu. It was leukemia. And that began a three-year up-and-down battle for life. And it was almost three years later when Professor Brown walked again into Tim's hospital room. Tim's mother was in the corner crying and honestly couldn't blame her. Tim was lying on his side. Nurses had put pillows in between his now skinny little legs just to offer him some comfort. His hair wasn't curly anymore. He couldn't even look up, honestly. And so Professor Brown, when he walked in, he knelt down so he could look at Tim eye to eye. He said, hi, Tim. Hi, Professor. And Professor Brown said there was this awkward silence. He said he had been a pastor for 20 years and he still didn't know what to say in this situation. And it was Tim that finally broke the silence. I've learned something. The professor said, tell me, partner, what have you learned? Keep in mind, this was in the late 90s, all right? I've learned that life isn't like a VCR. And the professor was a little bewildered. You're going to have to explain that one to me, Tim, because I don't understand what you're saying. Life isn't, isn't like a VCR. You can't fast forward through the bad parts. He paused. And he said, but I've learned something else. That Jesus Christ is in every frame. And right now, that's just enough. See, true contentment is recognizing that Jesus is enough. If you know Jesus, you have a God who hears you. If you have Jesus, you have grace for every sin. If you have Jesus, you have a light in every dark place. If you have Jesus, you have an anchor in every storm. If you have Jesus, you have the one who supplies your every need. You can be content even when the world says there's no way. Even in your weaknesses and hardships and persecutions and calamities, you can still be content. So let me spell this out plainly. Lots of people are not content because they think they need something else in order to be content, but true contentment is found in a relationship with Jesus. If we don't find our contentment there, we will always be striving after things and new experiences. All right, but there's also another, and this is not a complete, I, you know, every sermon and you wish there was more time. Sorry. 
There's also another major source of discontentment in some people. Very simply, it's what's been spoken into your life by others. You don't measure up. You'll never be a success. You're not very smart. You're not good enough. And these may not have been spoken directly, but the message was loud and clear. And when you believe those voices, when you focus on what they say, they will rob you of contentment. You won't be content because you feel inadequate. A man named Chris Conley is a pastor of a large Christian congregation in Memphis. Chris grew up in a non-Christian home. His father was a successful entrepreneur and a very serious golfer, and he got Chris involved and interested in golf at a very young age. But his father was extremely competitive and insisted that his kids have the same drive that he did. And so when Chris was just 14, he competed in a golf tournament for 15 to 18-year-olds. He's only 14, okay? And he finished that tournament at least 10 strokes ahead of any 15-year-old there. And he was actually ahead, leading the whole tournament on the last hole until he shot a three-over par, a triple bogey. And he lost the tournament by one stroke to an 18-year-old as a 14-year-old. And that night, his father came home and he looked at Chris. He said, how could you triple bogey the last hole? And he took Chris's golf clubs out the back door and threw them into the family pool. Chris dove in and rescued the bag and the clubs, but he knew what his father was saying. He didn't hear the words, but he heard them in his head. You're good, but you're not good enough. It was two years later when Chris was 16. He was going to play in his first golf, golf tournament as a 16-year-old. He was in a threesome with two of the other top golfers in the area. Before they started, Chris's dad pulled up in a brand new Ford Mustang convertible, had Chris sit in the driver's seat. He said, if you shoot a 69 here today, this car is yours. Today, you can have this car to shoot a 69. Last hole, 12-foot putt for a 69. Lined it up, hit it, went toward the hole, and lipped right around the hole and didn't go in. Putted it in for a 70. Looked at his father, who had been following him around in the car. His father shook his head, roared off in the Mustang, and he, Chris never saw that car again. And again, he knew what his father was saying, you're good, but you're not good enough. Chris struggled with that most of his life. He didn't measure up. He wasn't good enough. And it's possible that you could relate to that story. Maybe you're one who has struggled because somebody has spoken into your life that you don't measure up. And because of that, you have lacked contentment. I'm telling you today that in Jesus, none of that makes any difference because you're a new creation in Christ. Because of what Jesus did, his death and resurrection, 
you're holy and righteous, you're pure, you're totally acceptable to God. He looks on you not with the sternness of Chris Conley's dad looked at Chris, but with love and tenderness and compassion. You don't need to wonder if you measure up. You do because of what Jesus did. You're fully accepted. A couple of nights ago, Barb and I went to a special service up in St. Louis. One of the speakers there that night made a statement that I quickly wrote down. Why are you looking for validation from others when he has made you worthy? You're already accepted and loved by the God of creation. A while back, I heard somebody else say this. If I have the smile of God, all other frowns are inconsequential. You have the smile of God. He loves you right where you're at. He cares richly for you. Back to 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul is saying that, that contentment, true contentment, is not found in circumstances. So, left field example. I know some people who are so focused on politics in their lives, and I'm not saying there's anything emphatically wrong with that, but the, the truth is that having a solid, stable government that has great policies is not going to bring us lasting contentment. And don't misunderstand, I'd really like to have a government like that, all right? But if I'm waiting for that before I can be content in my life, it's not going to happen. Think of all the Christians in China that are, couldn't possibly be content if that's, the, if that's the criteria. Our contentment will never ultimately be found in having all the things that we desire. And true contentment can never be found in people's acceptance of us. A pastor named Rick Ezell said it like this, the majority of people in our society are like thermometers and suffer from pseudo-happiness, a counterfeit high that quickly evaporates. They hope the next superficial satisfaction will last, but external happiness is like cotton candy. It's sweet for a moment and dissolves an instant later. A person who is happy because she is vacationing on Maui is a person who has only a few days to be happy. But a person who has learned to cultivate deep down contentment will be a consistently joyful person wherever they are. Great statement. If Paul could be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, then what are you and I waiting for? Honestly. So what do I want you to take away from this message? Well, contentment is clearly not about our circumstances. It's about being in right relationship with your Creator. It's about knowing that your Heavenly Father loves and accepts you. It's about knowing that in Christ you've been given everything necessary. It's knowing that through Christ's death and resurrection you have been forgiven and made a brand new creature. Think about it. If we really lived in those things, if we lived in His forgiveness, His acceptance, His love, His friendship, His provision, how could we not be content? We can. One final thought. It's one thing to, to know what to do. It's another to actually do it. I said earlier that contentment is learned. Anything that you've learned well, you've had to practice, right? So the next time you 
sense yourself feeling not content, ask why. Why am I not content? And remind yourself of all of the reasons that Jesus is enough. His forgiveness, his acceptance, his love, his friendship, his provision. And focus on your great and wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you, in your mercy, accept us, that you love us, that we're your friends, that you provide for us, that you have forgiven us. Lord, thank you how good you are to us. Lord, may we, more and more, day by day, find our contentment in you. God, that we would, we would stop looking in, in all of the wrong places for contentment, but instead be content in knowing you, our creator, our savior, the lover of our souls, our provider, our friend. Thank you that you grant us contentment in you. Amen. Amen.